Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. We, through coming into contact with the gospel, we are exposed to our own hearts, how the gospel is ultimately the center of the entire Christian life. And if you don't understand the gospel, I think it's pretty pretty safe to say you don't really understand the life of being a follower of Jesus. We've been looking at how uh, the realities of what we call our faith are, in one sense, very simple, common realities. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I, uh, and maybe you've had this too, I will regularly have people come up to me and say, well, I don't have faith, or I don't have enough faith, or can you pray for me, Brother Nate, and give me some faith? Just had someone say that to me this week. Just because you feel like you don't have faith doesn't mean you don't have faith. We all have faith. The question is, what are you putting your faith in? We all ultimately have some true faith commitment that we are believing in. So you might think, oh, well, I just need to muster up my faith. No, you are putting your faith in something else besides the realities of Jesus and the gospel. But, million-dollar question, what causes us to put our faith in one thing and then shift it to another. That's what we've been, part of what we've been exploring in this series. What we've seen is that we have to understand the nature of our human hearts. Our hearts are the control center of who we are. Every person in the world, whether they claim to be religious or not, has some ultimate faith commitment. They have something to which they are loyal, to which they will give their allegiance towards. Again, that's why that throughout the scriptures we see this understanding of the human heart. We hear this language of what we love most, of what controls us. If you think about it, what you love most is what controls you. What you love most, you will live for. What you love most, you will do anything for. You will bow down and worship in obedience whatever it is you love most. And so what we've been looking at is how the power of the gospel actually changes our loves from one thing to another. So today we're going to be looking at part of Romans 1, if you want to open up your Bible there. Today we're going to explore another layer of understanding our hearts. We are going to be looking at what the scriptures refer to as idolatry. And already you might be thinking, okay, well, don't think I've bowed down to Baal any time recently, so this isn't going to be for me. Well, I would challenge you to listen well to what the scriptures refer to as idolatry. Romans 1, I'm going to read starting in verse 19. The Apostle Paul writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them, referring to the world, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, meaning the fact that God has all power and the God, fact that God has revealed things in the world. These things have been clearly seen, clearly perceived ever since the beginning of the world in the things that have been made. So that means people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
but they became futile, meaning stupid, in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. Notice, we're going to hear this word coming up, exchange. We're going to hear it twice in this passage. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, meaning the one who cannot die, the one who does not change. They exchanged the glory of that God for images. Notice these are all mortal things, mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask for each of us here, every man, woman, child, that as we look right now at your word to us, we would hear the voice of your spirit. God, I pray that this would not just be some static activity of someone just spouting out data and people just listening, but that you right now, spirit, in the work of your scripture being exposed, that you connect pieces of truth to our lives. God, I ask for your grace. Thank you for how you have met me already this week in prep for this sermon. I ask now, Jesus, that you would help us understand our hearts so that we can again see how only you, Jesus, bring us true, deep, satisfying good news. I pray, Jesus, that today we would be satisfied in you. We would see that you alone can satisfy. And Jesus, all the other things that offer us satisfaction, would those things become dim in our minds and our affections? Jesus, we want to be people that know you, that love you, that can trust you even in hard times. So now, Jesus, as we jump into idolatry, we ask for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Romans 1, we are brought into, we are exposed to what the scriptures refer to as idolatry. So let's look at what, what is idolatry? What do I mean when I'm saying idolatry? Idolatry simply is when we look to anything to provide us our true good and acceptance outside of God. Idolatry is what is driving us, is driving you to love other things more than God. So when we disobey God, when we lie, when we cheat, when we manipulate, even last week as Scott talked about self-righteousness, it is because we are idolatrous. And you might be thinking, idolatry? Dude, we aren't some pagan culture bowing down to objects of wood and stone, making, you know, cutting open animals and offering sacrifices. We don't do that. Right, you might not do it in that way. But friends, we are all idolaters. And the fact that we think, oh, well, I don't do that, that just shows how far removed we are from understanding what idolatry is. And an idol is not necessarily something you lay down in front of. An idol is anything that you are giving your trust to, your deepest allegiance to. Because whatever we give our ultimate trust and allegiance to, you will sacrifice. 
time, money, energy, ultimately your life. You will lay down before, you will lay those things down in front of your idol. And this is because, as Paul writes in Romans 1, the entire world, every person is on this ruthless, what I call a savage hunt for good news. We are looking for something to bring us rescue, hope, satisfaction. Paul writes that people knew that God alone gives those things, but we exchange that truth. We look for good news in every other area of life. So let's unpack idolatry and begin to look at, like, what are some of these things that are idols that we live for? One of the most important things that we have to realize is that idols themselves are not often bad things. For some of you, this might be maybe the most important point for you to understand. This is why we often don't think of ourselves as idolaters, because you're like, well, I'm not living for, like, money or sex, or I'm not murdering people. I'm not sinning in all these external ways. So how am I really an idolater? Friends, our idols are often really good things that we make ultimate things. You really want this job promotion. You really want to have a good marriage. You really want your children to love God and follow him. You really want fill in the blank. You want to make money because you genuinely want to provide for your family. You want to be in a certain friend circle at school. You want to make the team. You want to fill in the blank. All of those are great things, gifts from God. But are those our ultimate things? Listen to what our friend Tim Keller, who's now with Jesus, writes about idols. I think this quote is going to be up on the screen. I'll read it. We think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. And don't worry about copying this down. I can send this to you if you want to get it later. I would just encourage you to just listen. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect, we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. Pause. The very best things in life, the best gifts from God, can all become replacement gods. So what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion, energy, your emotional, financial resources on it without a second thought. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life and identity, then it is an idol. Did that quote just smoke you like it smoked me? What is it that you think will bring you the rescue? that you need so deeply in life right now? What do you think, oh, if I could just get this, then all of this would be fine. This is where within our idolatry, we realize that in the realm of our hearts, 
Idolatry is the sin underneath the sin. Let's look at that. What, is, what do I mean by that? The sin under the sin. When you begin to understand your heart and understand why the human heart is so essential, our longings, our affections, what we're ultimately giving our loyalty to, it's then you realize, oh, this is why I actually commit sin. I get mad at my family. I get mad at my little baby. I get mad at my spouse. I get mad at my coworkers. I'm angry that people have these other things in life. Friends, that's all external sin. That is sin. But is that the real problem? The real problem is what is driving us to do that underneath. Most of our surface level sins, anger, anxiety, fear, worry, pride, murder, sexual immorality, we think those are the sins. We just need to stop that. Just the goal of being a follower of Jesus is just stop sinning, right? Just stop the bad stuff. Hate to break it to you. That's just the surface level problem. When you begin to understand idolatry, you realize that you commit sin, not just because you are sinful, but because something at root in your life is informing you, this is your true good. This is what you need most deeply. Something else has captured your love, your allegiance. And throughout the entire story of God, beginning in Genesis 3, we see mankind, men and women, attempting to be God for themselves. They are attempting to define, where is my true good? Does God really have my best in mind? Ultimately, the Genesis 3 sin is Adam and Eve saying, God does not have our best interest. That means we will choose for ourselves what we think is in our best interest. Which means then you have to call the shots. Which means then you surrender your life to idols again and again and again. So the outward sin that you see, murder, sexual immorality, fill in the blank, that's just the external sin. What, what is the deep down thing driving you? And often, sometimes we're confused about our idols. Sometimes you're like, well, I don't know what my idols are. Like, I see some sin, but I don't really know how to determine what is my real idol. Diagnostic question for you. What would be your hell on earth? What would be your hell on earth? What is your nightmare scenario? Again, we often don't want to think about these things. What would be the worst thing, big or small, that you think could happen to you? Another way to think about this, what thing or relationship, if you lost it, would make you think life is no longer worth living? Think about that. Remember, these things are not bad things. I mean, for most of us, I'm assuming these are not bad things that we're thinking about. And for some of us, maybe you're living in that functional hell right now. Or maybe you're doing everything in your power to keep that thing from happening. Often whatever has most deeply captured us, wherever we find our deepest meaning outside of God, 
whatever that worst hell would be, we do everything in our power to avoid it at all costs. And what you live for at all costs, you are worshiping. And if it's not Jesus, then it is something that you are a slave to. Guys, take a deep breath. (laughs) That's a lot. For some of us, maybe right now we're the gears are turning of, holy cow, maybe right now you are starting to connect some dots of, I've lived my whole life saying, I must have this or be on the path towards getting this or be fighting to protect this because if I don't have this, then I have nothing. Then my life is no longer worth living. Do you hear the language of bondage? That you think this thing is going to deliver. You know what Psalm 115 says about idols? Those who make them become like them. For most everyone in humanity, our deepest loves are often tied to four main idols. The idol of comfort, the idol of approval, the idol of power, or the idol of control. You might be thinking, what? what now? Friends, those often are what is most deeply driving all that we do. Most of us, I would maybe say all of us, find our true good news through these four things. We long for comfort, pleasure, ease, lack of stress. This is where my true good is found. Any comfort people out there? I mean, I I clock in for all of these, so don't be embarrassed if you're a comfort person. Or you long for approval. As long as I'm loved and accepted by X people, certain people, maybe for you it's even just one person. As long as I'm loved and affirmed by X people, then life is good. Maybe for you it's the idol of power, that I need influence, I need power over other people, or else life is not going right. Or we long for control. I know some of you control people out there. I mean, I'm one of you, so. Where you say, I must have certainty over all things or even just some things in life. So what we're going to do is next week, we're going to do a deep dive into each of these, unpacking each of these core idols, seeing how the good news of Jesus actually doesn't just help us see our idol, but how Jesus himself actually comes in and shows us how he is better than our idol. So we're going to do that next week. But today, what I want us to do is to just look at two common external sins, and then we're going to see how it's actually idolatry that's driving that. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do next week. We're going to do a deep dive into all four. Today, we're going to look at worry and sexual immorality and see how it actually is idolatry at work in those things. Let's talk about worry. Any worriers out there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of us worry to some degree about something in our life. Some of us maybe are more chronic worriers, worrying what people will think of us, 
what we will do in certain scenarios, if you want to talk to the king of like worrying about well, if this, then this, and so then I'm going to have to do this, and like, yeah, come talk to me after. I'm the king of, let me think out various scenarios in life. If this changes in my life, then what will happen here? Sadly, we often just tell our friends who are worrying, just stop worrying. I mean, anyone out there? Either being convicted, just, just stop worrying. I mean, it's really simple, moron. Like, just quit worrying. Well, hopefully you're already connecting that based on understanding the depth of our idolatry, you can't just stop worrying. Because you're worrying because something may or may not happen. You're worrying because something that you need most is at risk of possibly not surviving, of not giving you what you think you need. You just need to be positive. I've had so many people tell me that. You just need to be more positive, bro. I'm just like, oh my gosh. But ultimately, is worrying the real sin? That's what I want to think about. Is worrying the real problem? No. Worrying is simply the sin covering the real sin. At root... For worrying is a need. And maybe it's a need for a good thing. But often it can be a need for approval. I'm worried of what these people will think about me. I'm worried about what my boss may or, not do, may or do or not do. I'm worried about my life, my relationships, my money, my health, my possessions, someone I love deeply. Are those bad things? Not at all. But when those things become our ultimate allegiance, we worry. Do you ever feel like you constantly are in a dance trying to make sure that certain people are okay with you? Oh, yeah. Imagine being a pastor. <laughs> I'm worrying all the time about making sure everybody's okay with me, just to be honest with you. You're worried about trying to keep the right people in your corner? Are you worried about, I mean, you know what you're worried about. It's probably going through your head right now. But you see, the sin of worry is ultimately that we have given our deepest faith allegiance of worship, of control and approval over to something else. Jesus is no longer the one in control. Jesus is no longer the one who has already shown us the lengths that he would go to give us our approval. There's a lot more we could say there. What about sexual immorality? If you didn't know, we are all sexual sinners. All of us. We all might struggle with sexual sin in different ways. None of us is immune to sexual immorality. You might not be actively engaging in a sexual relationship with someone outside of marriage, but each of us has sexual longings, desires, appetites, whether it's through a glance at someone, whether it's a look at pornography, whether it's casting a longing eye at someone that we think is beautiful. We all, right now, are sexual sinners. So, is sexual sin just something that we need to stop and get a handle on? You need to stop that sin and just get a handle on it. 
often in the church, often sadly within Christian circles, we just resort to that type of moralism. Just stop doing the bad thing. I don't care why you do it, just stop the bad thing. Like worry, we can't just stop because there is something driving us towards that sin. The real problem is not just the sexual immorality. The problem is that there are idols at work that we will sacrifice for to get. Our idols push us to sexual immorality. Heard one pastor one time say, and this, this just like blows my mind to just think about this reality, that most people don't commit sexual sin just because they're horny. Most people don't just commit sexual sin because they have a ton of lust in their heart and they just need to get the lust out. No. Most people commit sexual sin because some idol is pushing you to see, oh, well, this will give you what you think you need. Power, comfort, approval, control. We often feel alone. We feel unloved. We have a good longing for intimacy. So we look for companionship. We look for love in the arms of a lover, real or imagined. We flirt with chances of intimacy, even if it's just in our imagination. We feel maybe that our life is going insane. So I just need something that will give me some feelings of comfort or some feelings of pleasure. We are full of anxiety or worry. So you commit sexual sins like looking at pornography to give you this sense of comfort. So hopefully you're seeing this. The sexual sin is not the really deep problem. Sexual sin is absolutely forbidden by Jesus. Absolutely. We should not be engaging in sex outside of marriage. But is that the real problem? That we're just giving into sexual sin? No. The real problem is that we're looking for hope, rescue. We're looking for good news somewhere else. So these are just two examples. Worry, sexual immorality. There are many more. Many more ways, other, other sins that we could even unpack. And as I said, we're, we're going to jump into those core idols next week. But kind of with the rest of our time, even if you want to just continue to hold on to those two sins of worry and sexual immorality, I want us to consider this question as we go to close in a couple minutes. How does the gospel offer us better news than idolatry? How does the gospel offer us better news than idolatry? We're in this series on gospel realization. Hopefully, by now, you're picking up that language that when we use the term gospel realization, we're referring to the gospel being planted deeper in our souls. This idea of realization is this awakening to something that you thought you knew, but now you see it in an even bigger way. You are coming awakened again to the gospel again and again. And here at Redemption, we believe not just deeply in the gospel, but that gospel realization happens all the time. That we continue to are being like, wait a minute, I thought I loved Jesus and was following Jesus, but now my eyes are being opened to see, wow, I'm actually really an idolatry. But wait a minute, look at what Jesus has done and is doing in me through the gospel. That's, that's awakening happening. That's realization happening. So how does the gospel offer us better hope than the idols we are believing in? How does the gospel actually speak into what I want to call our deep wells of longing for comfort, approval, power, control?
Well, if you remember, within our series, we've been seeing that the good news, the centrality of the gospel, is located in the fact that God reigns. If, you, if you've missed earlier sermons in this series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first couple ones. Scott did an amazing job of walking us through how the gospel ultimately locates the, the, the central message of the gospel is that God reigns now through, that is the good news, that God is reigning now through Jesus. But within this definition, we didn't just define the gospel, we actually showed how that's not just a, some static piece of data that's true and then we move on from it. No, that reality continually shapes and reshapes all of life. So that means that when you realize what God has done in Jesus, what God has actually done by giving us God in the flesh who would actually take our sin, rescue us from Satan's sin and death, that means that in Jesus, our longing for comfort finds its true comfort. Let's just talk about comfort. Again, we're going we're gonna to do a deeper dive into all these, but I just want to hit each of these as we go to close. In Jesus and in the gospel, you have a real flesh and blood person who died in your place, who died in your place to rescue you from the most, from the most real hell that you could ever imagine, worse than you could imagine. In Jesus, you have someone who offers you their death as your comfort, who says, even as I took your sin, I now want to comfort you even in the midst of your sin. Think about that. Jesus doesn't say, I died for you. You better obey me. And then when you sin, all right, come back, come back. What'd you do? you see my wounds? I died for you. By the way, the wounds of Jesus are eternal. Like, think about that reality. Like, he doesn't say, okay, come back. Tell me what you did. No. Look at Hebrews. We have a great high priest. First John, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Friends, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of maybe experiencing hell on earth, we have a comforter in Jesus. Jesus didn't show up and say, all right, buck up, get in line. He said, I'm your shepherd. I'm meek. I'm lowly. When you jack it up big time, you can come to me. You can come to me for mercy. You can come to me for comfort in the midst of your worst case fears happening. And again, that doesn't mean that in Jesus we don't ever suffer discomfort because we are going to suffer discomfort, especially in this overlap of the ages that we're living in now. But what that means in Jesus, that our most deepest real comfort can never be taken because the comforter himself is with us. Look at approval. Oh, you approve a lot of people out there like me. In Jesus, our need for approval is fully met. Because Jesus has actually given us God's complete love and approval. You ever heard that 
the theological term justification. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, what, what does that mean again? That's like some big religious term. Justification means to be declared right, that you are in the right. That, that's an approval term. That's a validation term. But the crazy thing is, in Jesus, we are declared justified. But wait a minute, justification happens when God sets all things right at the judgment, when the new creation fully comes in and God says, sets, all things will be set right. Who is justified? Who is in Jesus? Has that happened yet? No, that's in the future still. God has not yet set all things right. He has not yet de declared who's justified. But wait a minute. We know that in Jesus we are justified. That means the future reality is brought into the present. That means right now you have God's complete approval and love and acceptance. The future has broken into right now. So why do we think we need approval from our boss then? Why do we think we need approval and worry about people? The one whose approval actually matters. The one who has so deeply shown us their love and favor and acceptance said that I am for you. When we begin to understand that, that frees us from needing approval from anyone else in this world. Now, I'm just going to say this. It frees you from needing to defend yourself. Again, if you're like me, I'm just like revealing all my sins right now. I always need to defend myself. I was even just sharing with a couple of people this morning about the situation I'm in, and I'm like, oh, well, they're doing this, and they're doing this, so I feel like I need to do this now, and I need to do this now, and oh, well, they did that, so I mean, I have no choice but to do this now. Nate, why are you going to defend yourself so much? Are you worried what people think about you? Are you worried people might think you're a jerk? something driving there. In Jesus, that reality of justification and approval shows us you have approval. What about you power people out there? I don't get you people. Not that I don't get you. I, I, just, I just find other core idols that I think will give me happiness. I need Scott to show up and talk about power. He would say that. In Jesus... Our need for power is put aside because we see the one who has power over all things. And what's incredible about Jesus is that the Father had given him power. The Father had given him authority over the demonic. The Father had given him power to heal. And what did Jesus do with his power? He gave it all up. He laid it all down. In the act of what looked like ultimate weakness, with feebleness, weakness, a crumbling body, he crawled onto a cross. The ultimate display of weakness, the ultimate display of we have power and dominion over you, in what looked like the truest weakness, Jesus has now actually received all power, all control, all authority, all rule and reign. So in Jesus, we see that not only does he have all power, but we see that all of our quest to need power, to work hard, to receive validation for how we have power, we see, wait a minute, 
Someone else has the power. And they're running life better than I ever could. In Jesus, our quest for power gets encountered with the fact that, as we even heard earlier from Tad, it's done. The work is done. So even maybe for some of you who are, in one sense, maybe you don't even know you're living for power, but you're always working, you're overworking, you're driving yourself super hard. What are you trying to accomplish? Why are you willing to push yourself, maybe even push other people so hard to accomplish or to do certain things? It's maybe because deep down you think the work's not done. I've got to prove, I've got to validate, I've got to perform. Friends, it's done. The one who has all power completed the true work on your behalf. Save control for last. In Jesus, our demand for control, for things to go my way, our demand for control is actually revealed for what it is. It's an idol. It is folly to seek to control your life, other people's life. The gospel shows us that in Jesus, the one who had control gave it up so that now we can see he runs life better than I ever could. The gospel announces to us that not only is God ruling and reigning over all the cosmos, but even now over your life, you have one who is telling you, I actually run life with your best in mind. When you realize God has control, you can say crazy things like this. If we knew what God knows in his infinite wisdom and control, we would ask for exactly what he gives us. I'm going to repeat that if you want to write that down. There's not, this isn't a slide, I added this. If we knew what God knows, what he's doing, how he's working, his wisdom, his providence, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives us. The only way that's true is if someone has control, way better control than I ever could have. So as we go to close, how do you think the gospel offers you better news than your idolatry? Again, we're going to do a deep dive into each of those things next week. We're going to sing some songs, take communion in just a couple minutes so the band can, you guys can come up now if you'd like. Already just in this initial exposure to idolatry, where are you thinking the Spirit might be calling you to work? What areas in your life right now is God highlighting or maybe even lovingly exposing your idolatry to you? Where do you need the gospel to sink in fresh today? Where, in one sense, do you need to repent today? We, we use this language of transfer. Where are you realizing, wow, I've got all my faith in this thing? And the beauty of the gospel is we can say, wait a minute, this thing is not going to be my ultimate rescue. How do I transfer it 
to the one who truly is my rescue. And maybe you don't know how. If you don't know how, don't be discouraged. Don't be alarmed. You're in a good place. Talk to somebody. Talk to me after. I would love to talk with you, pray with you, help you understand and connect the dots from your idols to Jesus. Remember, coming to the communion table right now, like where we're literally going to end the sermon on idolatry and then come to communion. This is not a, oh, I'm going to work really hard and fight my idols this week. That is not what this is about. This is about, wait a minute. Let me be drawn back to the one who I know has actually already accomplished what I could never do. Remember in the story of God, the reason Israel could not complete the mission of God is because they kept surrendering to idols. Jesus had to step in on behalf of Israel, on behalf of us, because he alone had the power to defeat idolatry. And this, this little bit of bread, this little bit of juice, this is him saying, I did that for you. Do you want to participate in my life? Do you want to be in union in faith with me? Do you want to transfer faith today from whatever you are looking for in idolatry back to me? That's what we get to do when we take communion. I just want to remind you, even as you, like me, are getting your idols exposed, why is God doing that? Maybe you're even angry right now. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're fearful. Why does God expose our idols? Because he is so deeply committed to our good. Beyond what we can even see or imagine. And that again is what the blood and body of Jesus shows us. The lengths that God would go to secure us. To show us his good to us. So I want us to, in one sense... Repent as we come, but then sing and celebrate in joy at the body and blood of Jesus for us. So the band is going to lead us in three songs as we go to close. Um, just a second, I'm going to pray and then just invite you to come up. So come up with some folks around you. Come up with people if you want to pray together. Just come up, grab a little piece of bread, a little cup of the juice. Go back to your seats. Gather with people, pray. Um, I'll just say this. Um, this is for all followers of Jesus, so it doesn't matter whether you are an official partner with us or not. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are invited to come to the communion table. So let me pray for us, and then the band is going to lead us in song. Jesus, we do um, thank you that even in the midst of conviction, even in the midst of being exposed with the nature of our idols, even seeing how deeply entrenched they are in our hearts, thank you that you still invite us to come. Thank you that this invitation to the table, in one sense, this, this act of coming forward to pick up a piece of bread and juice is actually an acknowledgement of need, that I need this. I'm not coming forward because I am proud and I've got my crap together. No, I'm coming forward because of need. I need the blood and body of Jesus. Not for tomorrow, not for Tuesday, for today, I need the blood and body of Jesus. So Spirit of God, even now as we partake of communion, as the band leads us in singing truths back to you, Jesus, and over each other, we ask that Spirit, you would meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. 
To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.